Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. Right, welcome to another episode of The Rest is Politics Question Time with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. And Rory, there's a great question from John Devine for you. What killer question would you have asked the Tory leadership candidates who've been talking about the need for greater honesty and integrity in politics? Okay. So I, I, would, have, I would say, John, that the key thing is what hard truth are you prepared to say to the Conservative Party? So I would want them to say... Look, we are making a complete mess in Northern Ireland. This fantasy that we can have total free trade deals with the world and no border in the Irish Sea is nonsense. I'd want them to point out that we cannot be selling Thatcherite tax-cutting measures at a moment when our debt and deficit is twice as high as it was when Margaret Thatcher was running things. Mm. And I'm not seeing them demonstrating their honesty and integrity by saying uncomfortable things. No, and also, they're sort of trying to distance themselves from Boris Johnson whilst at the same time not really calling out just how bad things have been. And the other thing I think the public find a bit nauseating, they, they, they all tell each other how marvellous they are all the, all the time. You know, they talk about, you know, these what a great set of colleagues and this is the Conservative Party at its best. If this is the Conservative Party at its best, Rory, I'd be quite confident if I was Keir Starmer right now. But it's also very interesting, isn't it? If you think about it, the, the, the two candidates on that stage who would be more traditional, Foreign Secretary and Chancellor, but it's very interesting that the party has changed so much that three of the other candidates are not cabinet ministers. Mm. Whereas in the debate in 2019, everybody was a cabinet minister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, something's changing in the way that politics works. I mean, we've been very interested in this question of, of Kemi Badenoch and her coming through. And I think, she she does have i mean she holds herself well on stage she she clearly is very self confident and she's found a route through to a part of the conservative party but it's very interesting that we're now in a world in which it's so easy for somebody who's come into politics quite recently who hasn't had a cabinet position to suddenly be a leadership candidate. She doesn't say anything. She just keeps saying she's going to tell the truth, but she didn't tell you what this great, these great truths are. <laughs> what are they? Listen, here's a good one. Jeff Spink, how, how many of the current cabinet will be in the new prime minister's cabinet? Who will sink without trace? Oh, okay. So Nadine Doris is not going to get a job. Well, she's going to the House of Lords. Yeah, absolutely. With your friend Paul Dacre. There's going to be a, a, a fantastic by-election, that one. Yeah, really good, that one. Um, so Nadine Doris is not going to the cabinet. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg is not going into the cabinet. Yeah, I, th- I would imagine it will be one of the most dramatic reshuffles we've seen. I'd imagine 70% of that cabinet will not be reappointed because far too many people were there simply because they were Boris Johnson loyalists. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's, here's a question from Jack. As a recovering drug addict, I find there is still a huge stigma, but that the recovery community isn't always helping itself to challenge it. Mm-hmm. The most famous support group has anonymous in its name. And while valuing people's rights to privacy is important, what can be done to encourage those with lived experience of addiction and recovery to speak out and improve support and outcomes for people with addiction issues? Thinking of your fantastic work with Time to Change here also, Alistair. Mm. Well, that is the, the funny enough. I'm um, this book that I'm writing at the moment. I, I actually have a session, a section on Alcoholics Anonymous, which I think is one of the most extraordinary stories um of t- 
two, literally two people, Bill and Bob, coming together because one of them needed help at a point of getting through a kind of, you know, trying not to drink and he just meeting somebody else who was trying to do the same thing. And from that grew this incredible success story around and, the and, world. And remind us of how it works. Is it, there's a, there's a sort of Christian story at the beginning of it, is there or not? The, well, the sort there's a faith the, story? Well, the, the, 12, the, the 12 steps, they could, they could, look, a lot of people who use Alcoholics Anonymous are not, don't, don't have any faith at all. But, but, but in the origin? There, there, is, there is a faith element to it, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's recognising that you have no power over the addiction. And there's, gotcha. a high, there's a higher power. But your higher power can, doesn't have to be God. For a right. lot of people, it is God. But the thing is, so I, I like the an- anonymity. And, and, and when, um, when Bill was named as one of Time magazine's 100 most influential people in the century, he didn't let them have a photograph because <laughs> right. he, he feels the anonymity was, he felt the anonymity was so important. And wh- wh- why, is, why is the anonymity important? Sorry, let's just get into that for a second. Uh, because you need to be able to have complete trust in in anonymity and feeling that you can go along to these meetings and nobody's going to talk about you outside. Right. So that, that's incredibly central to them, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Nobody's allowed to leave the meetings and say who else was there. or what I'm not sure there. Vegas is the best comparison to use, but, <laughs> but yeah, basically, that, yeah. I mean, of course, people talk and people share their stories and what have you. But I think the general point in, the question, in Jack's question about drug addiction in particular, is there still a stigma? There's still a massive stigma to addiction. Um, you know, I still think that although organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous have kind of destigmatized alcoholism to some extent, there is still a huge stigma attached to it. There is a greater stigma attached to drug addiction because of the criminal element attached to that as well. So I do think that the more that people speak up about their own conquering addiction, or maybe conquering is the wrong word, but are dealing with addiction, I've, I feel for myself, for example, I, I, I had a drink problem. I was diagnosed as having a drink problem, but I'm not convinced that I'm an alcoholic. I, I think I'm an addictive personality and my, my addictions, you know, at the moment, I'm probably addicted to, to waking up every morning and checking that the podcast is at number one in the UK podcast charts. Well, I mean, thank goodness. It's, thank goodness it is. What's going to happen when it isn't? Well, you know, then I'll find another one. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a healthier addiction than, than alcohol or drugs or any of that stuff. Okay. Well, I don't know what we're going to do with this one. Ben Lamb, having recently come off my honeymoon, where during periods of traveling and downtime, I listened to your fine podcast, I can confirm so far the rest is politics is key to a happy marriage. That's a little bit self-congratulatory. I, I'm not really sure I should have read that out. No, I don't think you should. In fact, there was, a, there was a review in the Sunday Times of our podcast, Rory. It said that we were very pleased to be at number one, but it also said we were a little bit too pleased with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, now, that's a not one. a good okay. characteristic. That's, that's, that, that's and that's not good, Ben. No, okay, we're going to ignore that one. Well, I don't know. We, I think we should keep it in because it shows a very interesting aspect of your of your character. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Justin Barry. You've discussed the young age of some of the conservative leadership candidates, but in America you have Biden and Trump, who are much older. Should Biden step aside and let a younger Democrat run for the presidency? I think the short answer to that is yes. Um, but the question is who it would be. And the question is how much does he damage himself if he makes that clear? Look, I, li- I really like Joe Biden, but his ratings are absolutely terrible at the moment. Um, I think there is a, you know, the one thing you need for election campaigning is massive energy. And I'm not saying he doesn't have energy. He does have energy, but I think, I think it'll be very difficult. And obviously it depends to some extent on who the opponent is. I think Americans are much more open to older candidates than we are. Why, why is that, do you think? 
I don't know. I think it's because they 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 may be more used to it. If you go back through, uh, I mean, Obama was a bit of an exception. Clinton was an exception. But I think if you if you if you look at the American senators, American congressmen, they, I think that they do tend to be older than our MPs. Yeah, and they and they develop over time, don't they? People like Teddy Kennedy are able to sort of survive the scandals of their youth and reemerge as these great kind of lions of the Senate. And people like John McCain, I guess. I I think they the Democrats in the United States are in a catastrophic situation. They cannot fail to lose the House in the midterms, and they almost certainly will lose the Senate. They've got mm. it by a tiny margin, and the polls are terribly badly against them. Mm. Now, here's one. John T. Moore. I'm an A-level politics teacher. I've recently been teaching my students about feminism. Firstly, do Alistair and Rory consider themselves to be feminists? Yes. Related to this, Rory, let's just stick with the education theme. Will, what makes the Eton experience different from other top private schools and why does it produce so many prime ministers? We'll come on to that one in a moment. First of all, on feminism, I have definitely become more of a feminist under the influence of my daughter, Grace. (laughs) By the way, tickets for her Fred Edinburgh Fringe Gilded Balloon appearance the month of August, she told me to say, are now on sale. Um, But I've definitely become more of a feminist. And I think that one of the things that's most influenced me is her constantly saying that until men understand that feminism is an issue for men and women, then the debate is not going to change and the dial's not not going to move as quickly as it should. And, the, and I think the same is true on, on all social justice issues, right? Mm. And, and what about Eton? Let's, let's talk, we haven't talked about Eton for at least a week. Yeah, well, so, uh, look, it's, it's true. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's all the things that you say about it, or many of the things that you say about it. But still, he's put his finger on something interesting. Why is it particularly that school, rather than lots of other expensive private schools up and down the United Kingdom, that seems to be generating so many politicians? And also, interestingly, a lot of soldiers... From my year at Eton, I think 50 of us joined the army. So there's something going on in that school, which seems to be, from the moment that you enter, directing people towards, many of them towards careers in the army, in civil service, and in politics. Whereas many of these other schools, most of the people leaving would never consider going to the army, wouldn't want to be a politician, and they go off to have a happy life uh, making money as bankers or management Mm. consultants. Well, there's quite a few bankers who went to Eton, I think. There's definitely lots of bankers who went to Eton. Mm. A lot of journalists, a lot of actors. I mean, it's it's mm. an interesting school like that. Mm. All these people, Don West, Damian Lewis, uh, I think Eddie Redmayne, mm. Hugh Laurie. Am I right? Yeah, Hugh Laurie, I think. Yeah, so, <laughs> and, and, and of course, George Orwell. George Orwell, of course, yeah. that's the one that we need to focus yeah. on. Eric, 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 as we call Eric, him. Yeah. Gene Lin, we're back on Taiwan. I'm a Taiwanese listener. We're obviously very big in Taiwan, Rory. And I appreciate how you guys talk about us through a relatively holistic lens, as opposed to just pieces on the geopolitical chessboard. What's the most effective narrative that Taiwan should adopt in order to form a strong alliance with other democracies? Should it be based on values, freedom, rule of law, etc., economics, e.g. semiconductors that we were talking about earlier, or something else? That's a good question. That's a brilliant question, isn't it? I think they don't have a profile, really, other than on the technological side of stuff, and as a potential victim of what would be a catastrophic and highly controversial Chinese takeover. I think the democracy element is important, isn't it? I mean, one of the reasons why we remain, the world remains incredibly well disposed towards Taiwan is because of that democratic transition. Mm. But my goodness, they're in a tough situation. When you look at all those countries around the world that were allied with Taiwan, we were talking about some of the South Sea Islands recently who've been flipped 
to China and the just the scale and size of the Chinese economy and the way in which Taiwan, which is an incredibly productive, economically successful place, but simply can't compete on scale. Uh, we'll take a break now. We'll be back in a sec. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. I was going to go with Richard Cassidy. So he said he really enjoyed his trip to the House of Commons, but he was really disappointed that they didn't have HP sauce in the gift shop. And he wanted to know uh, whether you liked HP sauce or ketchup. Wow. Rory, do you know who Danny Baker is? No. Why, why do you, I, I obviously don't know who anyone is. So every question you ask me, the answer's the same. Danny Baker and Gary Lineker used to do a podcast together. And Danny Baker also used to do a show on a Saturday morning, which I listened to as we as I drove up the motorway to go and see Burnley. And I was once a guest on his show. And part of the show was you had to say whether you like red sauce, brown sauce, or no sauce at all with your bacon sandwich. And I revealed, and I thought I was revealing something that was very, very private to me. I revealed that I actually had an irrational fear of ketchup. I cannot be in the presence of ketchup. I, I just, if somebody has ketchup on the table, let alone sprays it all over their food, oh my Lord. I feel sick and I have to leave. Wait wait wait, and, wait, 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 let's just get into this for a second. What on earth is this? What, what's going on there? Where did this begin? I think when I was a child, I've just never liked, I don't like ketchup near me. My daughter, Grace, when she wants to annoy me, she gets ketchup and, and, and sort of chases me around the house with a bottle of ketchup. So, so, well, so wait, wait, wait. This was something that was true when he was sort of five, six years old and you haven't managed no, to I, shake no, it. No, it's been worse as an adult, but I, I didn't like ketchup as a child. And, um, but as an adult, I, I literally can't even be and, near why? it. Why? Why, why do you think you don't like it? I think it's to do with blood. I'm, I'm a bit squeamish about blood. I don't know, but I've always had it. So I said it and then 
Danny contacted me later and there'd been lots of people who got in touch and said, I've got the same thing. They have the same thing. And I then discovered it's a hell, it's a condition. It's called saltomophobia. <laughs> saltomophobia. And in Australia, in Australia, it's called equus mortis phobia because equus mortis, Latin for dead horse, dead horse, rhyming slang, red sauce. My goodness. Wow. We educate our, we educate no, our pretty, so much. No, so I'm we? also interested in this, this thing about blood. My father, who like you was a big macho Scottish guy, was also surprisingly, uh, didn't really like blood, despite having been in the army, despite actually really loved being in the army, fought all the way through the war. I'm completely indifferent to it. it has no, I mean, I handle dead bodies. I've had to try to, mm. uh, I've tried to give mouth to mouth to people who haven't come back. I've dealt with people mm. with a lot of blood or over piss. Doesn't, doesn't affect me at all, but my dad hated it. I've the, one of the first times I met Fiona when we were trainee journalists together, we were taken on a tour of the Devon and Cornwall police headquarters, and we were taken into this room where they're investigating a murder, and there were pictures of the dead body all over the wall, and I just passed out. I fainted. I'm a bit squeamish with that stuff, and and, and I think the source is about that. But honestly, Rory, um, don't ever bring out the red source. No, I won't. I won't. If, if we're, no. Now here's a good one for you. Yep. Here's a good one for you from Una McGarvey, Rory. What interview question have you fluffed? And Alistair, how should he have answered the question? Oh, my Lord. Well, the, the problem is the, <laughs> the, interview, the interview questions I've fluffed, I'm afraid I know how you would have answered the question. Okay. My, my most humiliating one was um, during the flooding in 2015. I was a young flooding minister and I was really loving my job. And uh, it, it was horrifying, obviously. It was Storm Desmond and I, Storm Eva and I was charging up and down the country, Cumbria, Yorkshire, Lancashire, standing up to my knees in flood water. And I thought I'd really got my head around the detail. I felt, you know, I knew more about floods than Dean Doris knows about rugby league. And it was all going very well. And then eventually uh, a television interview, it's about sort of seven in the morning, just before dawn in Carlisle's winter, asks me what's going on. And I said, well, the fact is, you see, these walls that we've built, these two meter walls, flood walls that we built, are working really, really well. The only problem is that the waters come over the top of them. And... (laughs) And from then onwards, as you can imagine, straight into Have I Got News for You next week, you know, the most hapless, idiotic Tory minister. <laughs> oh, yeah. my Lord. I'm not even, I, well, as you say, you know what I would say yeah. you should have said. Uh, that, that, is, that, is, that, is pretty, that is pretty, that is pretty low grade. Rory, what about this one? Which political cliche do you hate the most? Oh, I, I hate them all. I really hate them all. I, I mean, to be serious, I actually get a little disturbed about all the parties talking about equality all the time, because I'm not sure that actually, to be rude, any of them really mean equality. When, if they were really serious about real equality, uh, we would, we'd, we'd, have a compl- well, we'd have a completely different economic system. Mm. I mean, to be honest, if you look, you know, Labour keeps saying they're committed to equality, but actually, mm. if you look at their taxation system, if you look at the kind of stuff they're proposing economically, they're not really in favour of radical equality at all. Another one that annoys me is sustainability, because it can mean three different things. It can mean financial sustainability, it can mean environmental sustainability, or it can just mean it's a good thing. And it's a way I felt the civil service just sort of killing a conversation. Somebody would say, yes, but how about sustainability? And everyone kind of stroke their chin mm. and look wise. Mm. What do you hate in jargon? Uh, I, I loathe a raft of measures. Yeah, okay. I loathe game changer. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, and, and, and one of the things that I can't stand 
And this is where this is more a media thing. It's when they say in his most personal interview yet or in his most difficult week yet. You know, when they everything has to be a sort of sort of superlative. Now, Richard Eccles, by the way, I couldn't find a random item just now. I looked everywhere. My wife employed the Rory, Rory Stewart protocol. It'll be in the original place. I looked again. I found it in two seconds. No wonder you're the number one podcast. It's, I, I, you know, actually, Alistair, this is probably the most serious contribution I've ever made to humanity. I, you, you won't have been following my Twitter feed, but I'm getting literally hundreds of people writing in every week telling me that I had found their car keys, I'd found their pen, I'd found their wallet. It's literally revolutionary. I mean, I, I feel I think a little they, I think bit they have like to it. take a little bit of credit themselves. I really do. I don't think you can take a lot of credit. <laughs> Remember, Harry Truman said, it's amazing what a small group of men can achieve, provided nobody cares who gets the credit. Okay. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. But they are very sweetly giving me the credit. I feel vaguely, just to remind people what this tip is, the tip is that if you've lost something, it is where you think it is. In other words, you looked first time, you couldn't find it. You go back, you find it. Again. It doesn't work every time. My friend, John Hatt, got in touch with me and he said, Rory, that was a bit much. You, you've got to point out it doesn't work every time. Although I thought that might sort of remove some of the religious fervor of this insight. But definitely, it's literally the most important philosophical or religious insight I've ever arrived at. Final quick one, Katie Bott. In which city would you choose to have a street named after you? Oh, <laughs> Where would you like to have Rory Stewart Street, Rory? Oh, goodness gracious me. I'd love it in Kabul. And I guess with you, the answer's got to be Tirana, right? It might be Tirana. Maybe Pristina. Maybe Pristina. Pristina, which has the, which has the worst statue of Bill Clinton that's ever been built. <laughs> um, let, let's do something slightly grim just to finish our questions, which is a more serious political one. Do you agree the Scottish government has a mandate for a second independence, taking into account the recent election? If not, why not? And how would a mandate otherwise be acquired? So, the, just to remind listeners, it, it seems at the moment as though Nicola Sturgeon is genuinely trying to argue that she's got a mandate to have another referendum, uh, really not many years after the last referendum. It certainly doesn't feel like a generation after the last referendum. Do you, Alistair, think she's got a mandate to do that? I think technically the answer is no, because of where the power lies to call a referendum. Um, the question then is whether politically she has that. And I think that's I'm – not, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. Um, has the debate shifted so significantly? I don't know. You're, I mean, you're living up there at the moment. What's your view? Unless she can show a much bigger chunk of the Scottish population, if it remains it as a, a sort of marginal call, where actually in many polls it's showing that a minority of people are now in favour of independence, I think it's very difficult for her to call for a second referendum, having said it's a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Mm. Um, final, final question that I got here, just, just, while, we're, um, just while we're rolling. Um, Somebody very, very kindly called Catherine Malek said she just finished reading The Places in Between. Yes, I know, super late. Have a question for Rory. 20 years later, how does he think those villages he walks through will have changed, if at all? And I've been thinking about this. I walked across Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India and Nepal. And definitely Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan have changed far less in 20 years than you could possibly have believed. It's really depressing. I would never have guessed mm. if you'd said to me 20 years ago you know, what's it going to look like in 2022? And to discover that so much of rural Iran has remained unchanged, that society seems so stagnant and frozen, mm, mm. in many ways going backwards. And and the same, of course, is true of Afghanistan. I mean, so much rural Afghanistan still doesn't have electricity, doesn't have functioning roads, doesn't have functioning clinics. Rory, you're depressing and, me again. 
All right, we're gonna. Well, we don't want to depress. So, so go and finish with one happy story, and we'll wrap up the question. Oh, except for the no, no, really happy story, of course, is that listeners should be listening to my wonderful BBC Radio Four. Oh, for God's sake! You've, you've just plugged the book. This week. You've just plugged the book. You're now. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. On the podcast, on the podcast, you plug. The podcast. That's not true. You're always plugging your. You're always plugging it's your. True, you're always plugging true. your TV show about choosing a make, politician. Make me prime minister. Make yeah, me yeah. prime minister. Very so, good. so let me just plug mine. Long history of argument. Long history of argument from Socrates to social media on Radio Four on Tuesdays at nine. Right. <laughs> Finish with a happy thing, Alistair. Give us something cheery to go away on. I got a lovely message from the genius Icelandic manager of ABBA saying how much Benny and Bjorn loved my attacks on the Boris Johnson recently. No, but also they loved your singing, apparently, is what you told me. You, they, they loved they you loved, singing they, in they, German. They loved, my, they loved me singing Danke für die Musik auf Deutsch, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that that is nice. Okay, that that may be a little self-congratulatory for us to end on, but we have no alternative other than to end. Thank you guys very much indeed. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>